Hello and welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And this episode is part, what is that, part 10 of our Wilderness Years series as we're talking about these books uh, that came out between the period of when Adam Warlock and Thanos were dead and before they came back for Infinity Gauntlet. And we're covering all the different little stories and nuggets in the Marvel Universe that either reference them or are done because of them or will basically come to uh, prominence later on during Warlock and the Infinity Watch later. And so it's helpful to know about them now. And as you might have heard from the scene from the title of this episode where it's called Nebula. Yeah, we're going to be doing some stuff with Nebula this time and her appearances in the Avengers, specifically Avengers 255 to 258. And as promised two episodes ago, joining me for this entire episode is Michael Bailey. How are you doing, Michael? I am doing fantastic. Ah, it's like it's been no time since I talked to you. Yeah, I mean, it, it, just, it, just, it just feels like seconds have gone by. Exactly. Uh, no, no I, I'm, I'm really excited about this because, uh, you know, when you gave me like an option, uh, like options to choose from, I picked the cap annual because i'm like well i've read that i know i like that i really am excited about reading these because one of my comic book blind spots is the roger stern run of the avengers and i'm like if i can read about four or five issues of that yeah then i'll be then i'll be happy with that because roger stern is one of my favorite writers uh obviously more for his superman work Mm -hmm. uh, because that's like the (laughs) He was writing the character right in that golden age period for me as a as a Superman fan of the comics. So going back and, and reading some of his earlier Marvel work, and this is one of the most regarded runs of the Avengers. Yes. So and from what I've seen of it, well, we're, there's a good reason why. Yeah, and so like digging into this issue, like even though I haven't read any of the previous ones. I knew I was in good hands in terms of a writer that was going to kind of keep me, keep me abreast of what I've missed, but really starting to plug in with this new, uh, this new storyline. No. And I'm very happy to read a Roger Stern book because one of the, I mean, well, I did have, you know, like you have those comics that you kind of randomly have before you start really getting them. Yep. So one of the ones, the earliest ones I had was that, la- I think it was Avengers 277, which is like the last part of the Under Siege story. So that's where I first Ooh. knew him from. But then I really knew him as I started reading Superman, and he was a writer, I think, on Action? Yeah, he started out on Superman and then went over to Action after Exile ended. Okay, then he would have been in Action, because I started with I started with Crisis of the Crimson Kryptonite. Yep. So yeah, he would have definitely been writing action at the point at that yeah. point. Yeah, because he was he was the writer of the uh, reveal issue when he reveal, when he tells Lois who he is. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was action. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's where I started reading Superman. Was right. I saw the ads for that one. I'm like, oh, that looks cool. And it was. It's also made me restart reading Starman actually. Yes, which is another like uh, another series that I cannot. Uh, recommend enough uh starman was in a time period where dc was going grim and gritty starman was one a very marvel type character uh but as andrew my co-host over on overlook dark knight andy Leyland and i talk about quite often 
Really, DC got good when the Marvel writers came on and br- came over and brought that sensibility. Uh, that's that's a snarky way of referring to it, and it's not like complete. Like it's not that's not definitive because that's not to say that there wasn't good stuff before. But for me as a reader, it's it's really the Marvel guys coming over and bringing that sensibility to Superman that made me fall in love with Superman as a character. So. No, I, I can see that. I mean, there, were there stories that were good before? I mean, if we were just talking that period slightly before, yeah, you know, I'm not talking the whole history, but that just slightly before, yeah, there was some good stuff before that people who weren't from Marvel, I mean, at least me personally, Great Darkness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and oh, yeah. the Levitt's Giffith Legion, I love that. But, I mean, yeah, a lot of times when you're thinking of, especially in the 80s DC, most of those runs people are thinking of are from people who basically, well, more or less, I'm not. I'm not saying taking sides here, but from what they said, you know, the people that left because of shooter. Yeah, yeah, and I think it was Grunewald that that fired Stern off of Avengers that I think caused him to kind of jump ship and go over and take over for John Byrne, which is really weird because for most of his first year, it seemed like Stern was just basically cleaning up from where. Not the mess that Byrne left, uh, but Byrne left kind of a mess behind him. It's just like, okay, Superman's killed three Kryptonian villains, deuces. Have like, fun. All right, let's take care of this. We got the Rampage stuff we got to deal with. I got the Silver Banshee stuff. And it's just like, and, and they were good friends, so it, it made sense. But yeah, it's just kind of just kind of funny to think about that. No, yeah, but I like Stern's work, so. I was happy to read this. Plus, John Buscema penciling it. I mean, come on. Yeah, I, I don't know if Tom Palmer's inks are holding him back or not, because uh, it's it's not what I... Th- but it's also, like, almost 20 years after the last time Buscema drew the Avengers. So, you know, things yeah. are going to change in that time period. That's true. That's right. Yeah, the last time he was drawing it was probably around, like, before the Kree-Skrull War. Uh-huh. No, he still was... Even if he's being held back, it's still pretty impressive. Yes. So, I would right. agree with that, too. Yeah. All right. Well, give me a second, people. I'm going to drop in a synopsis, and then we are going to start off with Avengers 255. Avengers number 255, The Legacy of Thanos. Writer, Roger Stern. Pencils, John Buscema. Inker, Tom Palmer. Colors, Christy Scheel. Letters, Jim Novak. Cover art by Tom Palmer. Editor, Mark Grunewald with Howard Mackey. Cover date, May 1985. On sale date, February 5th, 1985, with a cover price of 65 cents. You can find this reprinted in Dyrasher, number 16, a German reprint. Secret Wars 2, number 46, a 1986 UK reprint. Los Vengadores, number 56, a 1987 Spanish reprint. Strange, number 219, a 1988 French reprint. Avengers The Legacy of Thanos trade paperback, a 2014 reprint, and digitally on Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited and other digital sites. Back from her vacation, the Wasp is shocked to learn of the Vision's aborted world takeover plan. Accepting full responsibility, the Vision resigns the chairmanship and, accompanied by the Scarlet Witch, leaves for Washington in a scheduled debriefing session. Meanwhile, aboard Sanctuary 2, Thanos' former starship, Captain Marvel encounters the newly arrived four-man crew of another ship, comprised of four different alien races. 
After helping them repair their craft, she is startled when Sanctuary 2's hyperdrive is suddenly activated, transporting the ship to another galaxy. Her four shipmates then reveal they are mercenaries and entreat her to join their band, or risk never again finding her way back to Earth. Well, if I wasn't sure if I was going to be using this, covering this issue in this story, I probably should just by looking at the title. The <laughs> I Legacy that of too. Thanos. Just like this fits. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, it's kind of. Yes. You know, we're, uh, th- we're cleaning up that some... Ultimate Vision story and setting up the new one. It's. Re- I mean, you almost could skip it and just start, you know, start the next one. But I'm going to be complete, so why not? Yeah. The, the thing I liked about it was exactly what you just said this obviously something big has just happened and i've not read that but this gave me enough of an idea of what happened that i can kind of pick up and move on while also having all of this really cool stuff happening in space with captain marvel uh to kind of like kind of kickstart the next story into gear but of the I, I've not read a lot of Avengers from like the seventies and eighties, but it seems like every time I dip into the title, there's some government bureaucrat yelling about how we need to keep control of the Avengers. It's <laughs> so I, I, it's now happened enough that, Oh, this is a thing. I get it now. Okay. They even mentioned the last, they even mentioned that in this one, they talk about the last time. Yeah. After the whole, first scene which is a great scene with with captain marvel where she's basically you know getting onto the ship and she's millions of light years away from earth because basically the vision just sent her there (laughs) it's a snipe hunt yeah (laughs) that's exactly what it is hey uh monica could you go find the shelf stretcher uh it's in the (laughs) back you just just we need it it a snipe hunt. Very good. Wow. I haven't heard that in years. Uh, but we have like the scene in the Pentagon where you have the most angry military oh, guy, eye. General Peabody, excuse me. That eye, I think his eye popped out. That's why he's <laughs> squinted the way he is. It looks like the one eye's missing. But I, I just love that he's freaking out because of the Avengers. But there's one guy in the room, uh, Sikorsky, he's just like, listen, Sikorsky, he's like, no, no, you listen to me. My predecessor once used his authority over the Avengers priority clearance to ram a lot of regulations down their throats. And he even tried to shut them down once. And I refused to make the same mistakes. And I'm like, that's cool. I like yeah. that. That's somebody in the government going, we tried it that way. It didn't work. Shut yeah. up. And as he said, because the one I like that because the one general's like, it's just a bunch of random like mystery guys. Like, who cares? He's like, they've been involved with more top secret things that you don't even have clearance for. They are necessary. So we have to deal with them carefully. Shut up and sit down and do as you're told. Yeah, it is cool to have somebody go, you know, they, they have saved the world on more than one occasion. Yeah, it's like they're kind of useful. For us, you know, all breathing. And, and and what I really like is, in addition to kind of filling us in on what happened in the previous issues, a lot of this is just bureaucracy within the team. <laughs> the vision is basically like, I've got to go basically give a deposition. 
to the military to tell them why I did what I did. So I'm leaving the wasp in charge and, uh, yeah, y'all, uh, y'all have fun. And thanks for telling me I still have a home here. That's basically what happens on the, on the earth side for the most part. They're all just kind of hanging out. They're most of them sitting. I don't think the black knight gets out of his chair once in this issue. Yeah, I love on uh, it's it's the it's page five as it's listed in the in the book itself. I love that like you got like like Hercules is hanging around in a flight suit. He's like you found a pair of overalls because it's a little chilly, you know. Cap. Oh, that's right, because that, he was fighting the Blood Brothers, and his costume got ripped in a. Uh, a way that would be used a lot, let's say, for She-Hulk in the John Byrne run. You got Star Fox probably thinking about the next girl he's going to you know, be with. Uh, Wonder Man just kind of staring at Wanda because, of course, he is. Yes. Uh, Cap looking like a boss because it's surrounded by Buscema. <laughs> <laughs> let's be fair. Star Fox is probably not thinking about the next girl he's going to be with. He's already thought about her. He's not like girl five past that. <laughs> he's playing three-dimensional chess, with, but it's romantic. And there's this really great uh, scene where uh, Black Knight's thinking, wait a second, wait a second, the Vision and Wanda are married? Ah, wow. I chose a good time to come back. It's like, I need to catch up on my back issues. A lot has happened since I was off in time playing the Black Knight for old King Richard. And and the thing I like is that Stern is wordy, but not in a bad way. It's not like a Roy Thomas way where everybody on uh, on the page has to say something. Mm-hmm. It seems like when we're given a, a, a thought balloon or a speech balloon, that it's really important to what's going on. Yeah, with the Black Knight, if you didn't know the Black Knight had been gone for a while, now you do. Or at least if you already knew that, it kind of helps reinforce like the Black Knight, somebody who's not up to date like everyone else is. And it's done in a thought balloon, so it's not shoehorned into, you know, like stiffly shoehorned into the dialogue. Yeah, because they even continue that uh, on the bottom of that page when they get the signal from Captain Marvel and the Vision says, ah, I was expecting that signal. This would be Captain Marvel calling. And Black Knight's thinking, Who? Yeah, because <laughs> he didn't even know the previous Captain Marvel from what I remember. I'm not even sure if he knew the. I'm not even sure if he knew Marvel, let alone who this one is. Like, there's a Captain Marvel. What did that happen? <laughs> but yeah, Captain Marvel was like, yeah. Uh, what, what's I, I? Nothing much to report. Vision. Uh, I found it, but uh, there's no sign of anything that would have produced the signal you detected. Uh, I'd be surprised if you did. <laughs> what? <laughs> he's like yeah funny story <laughs> so you know how I wasn't taking control of all the computers in the world well <laughs> oops then I was you caught me I'm coming clean though look Cap's here he says it's okay and I just wanted—I I, really—I I know it, it happened the way it happened, but I just wanted it after, after it's just like after Captain Captain America says, and we put our house in order. The Wasp will be back from vacation tomorrow. I hope I can count on you to be here too. And just cut back to Captain Marvel just staring at the screen. 
and then going, what? Exactly what I was thinking. Wait, what and, happened? And then losing her damn mind on them. <laughs> but no, she's just like, of course, Cap, Marvel out. Well, that's bizarre. Really? That That's what you're thinking? You know, there have been times where I've been sent places at work and I found out I didn't have to be there. And I'm really mad. And that's just across town. Not like out in space. Fly out for the next eight hours. But then we get a really cool scene with Captain Marvel facing uh, not Pip the Troll and not the Thing. <laughs> as I really want to call them. And it seems like everything's going to go okay, and then it's not. <laughs> Here's our sudden but inevitable betrayal. That's the best way to refer to it, too. <laughs> well, you had to know when that one guy showed up, the, the blue dude. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, look at that smile on his face. Yeah, yeah, he's... He, 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 they they apologize, don't you, boys? Uh, yeah, yes, forgive me. Yeah, I trust all of this. And then they're buttering her up. It's just like a team of my, you know, Captain Marvel says, a team of mine, Thor, has spoken highly of the coloners of Rigel. And then they're like, oh, yeah, Thor's a great guy. We love him. Who's Thor? Tr- Shut up and say yes. You trust us, right? And then he cut back to Earth, and we have the Wasp coming back early, uh, watching uh, the Vision and all them leave. I love how she transforms into her superhero getup, uh, freaking out the, the, the two G-Men, basically. Uh, and we get more backstory of what's happened, and a heartfelt goodbye. Uh, yep. you know, given- the Vision's now time to leave. You know, Scarlet Witch kisses Captain America on the cheek and says, you know, in about almost 20 years, we may make a little more of this right before I go crazy. So, uh, just, yeah, that, that's it for now. Okay. That's right. That's going to happen not too long enough. That actually, this vision story has so many, like, was such a seed for so much stuff. I mean, that's mm-hmm. the whole reason the vision got turned into the white vision. Yes. Absolutely. The whole reason she goes crazy. The whole reason we get Avengers disassembled. Yeah, it's one of those things where continuity works in the favor of the story. Like, it doesn't get lost in it, but it, it it's also one of those things where when you have a history like the Avengers has, like John Byrne using this as his springboard to turn their vision white, that that's a John Byrne thing to do. Yeah. <laughs> Let's be fair. But for Bendis to come along and go, you know that run of West Coast Avengers or Avengers West Coast, excuse me. Uh, we wanted them to be together on the racks. Yes, uh, I remember when they did that. They changed that right around the time. Yeah, he brought back the original Human Torch. But there was a long period of time there where most of the people that I ran across that that read, that were Avengers fans weren't really hot on the John Byrne run. And here's Bendis using it as like the springboard for his entire revamp of the team for good or ill. Yes. So, but you you have all of that kind of playing in the background and essentially Captain Marvel 
they manipulate it that when they're in there, when they're basically in hyperspace, she can't, she can't use her powers. And that's like a really cool way to take down, not take down, but to, to basically stop a character that is extremely powerful. Yeah. They have no way of stopping her without this. Otherwise they have to figure out some way. I mean, it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a Silver Age Superman. It's like, unless you got kryptonite, yeah. you're, you're out. But yeah, you know, it's this is what like, you're going to do. But yeah, the, and then we're just kicking off to basically them taking the ship to go do whatever they're going to do, and that leads us into this whole Nebula storyline. Mm-hmm. So no, I loved this issue. I was just like, man... This is this is the type of issue that somebody discovers on the uh, on the stands, and this is what turns them into an Avengers fan, yeah, or a Marvel fan, because it, yeah. it 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 has that perfect blend of giving you something to jump onto, but also you get a sense of the history of what you're read of the the characters you're reading about. Yeah, and they do he they do a pretty good job of doing the. Um, the flashback stuff without overpowering the story. Because there are plenty of times where, like the cap issue we talked about the other day, I mean, it was fun to have, but I mean, there's like three pages of, you know, here's the here's the story of the Cosmic Cube. I'm going to monologue it to you now. <laughs> yes, 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 they will. Here, it's like just like two or three panels at a time. It's like, this is what happened. It's spread out throughout the story. So if you're, especially if you're already still reading it, you're not getting overwhelmed with, I read this already. I know this. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, as beneficial that could be for, let's say, if somebody who hasn't read them before and is just reading it now, it also could be annoying when you're reading this, you know, when you're reading the series every month and you're like, yes, I know. Can I not have, like, five pages telling me what just happened? Well, to be fair, if you're reading it uh, on a monthly basis, maybe getting a heads, uh, like a reminder of what happened would be uh would be beneficial and depending on where you were as a collector i mean if you're an adult or uh or a kid who has access to a comic shop and you can reserve it yeah you're following it but there may be times where you're at the mercy and the vagaries of a newsstand what i always tell people is like look you got to understand there's a point in time where if you missed an issue it ceased to exist on planet Earth. It was gone. You were never going to read it until True. you found a comic shop. And I'm also maybe I just realized I'm also kind of thinking of myself at this time period where any comics I had, I read like 80,000 times because yeah. I had like 50 of them. So I could read them over and over and pour over it and remember every detail because I read it. You know, now like, I don't have time to, you know, read that many things because forget doing a podcast. I also have to, you know, life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have to go to work every day. You know, I work 10 hours a day. I've got a wife. I've got dogs. I mean, yeah, these things, these things eat up time. It's like I wanted to read something before, but it's like, no, the dogs are there jumping at me going like, I, I need to go out now. It's like, all right, nope, we're going to go for a walk instead. When I was 11, it's like, oh, okay, I can just read comics for the next, you know, I could spend all day Saturday reading comic books. Nowadays, it's like, oh, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do yard work. 
without <laughs> somebody telling me, punishing, you know, threatening to punish me if I don't do it. Well, it depends on if you have an HOA or not. <laughs> yeah, well, I do. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but no, this is, uh, I'm reading this from uh, one of the years ago, Marvel uh, had a company basically put all, put like entire runs of their books on DVDs. Oh, those things. Always wanted the to get, get more of those back I think, yes. I think that was. So this thing uh, is digital, but it also has all the ads. So that that's one of the things that I kind of love about it. And it is very much a comic that was published in 1985. Uh, it's got a cloak and dagger ad for their Ooh. bi-monthly comic. Uh, on the inside cover, you've got uh, an Oreo ad. There's like a, a, a DP Orbitron barbells and weight benches. Which is kind of weird. What? Yeah, it's 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 a dude working out, so it's all it's, you know you know because you know you're reading comics, you want to look like the people inside, right? Sure, this, why not? Yeah, this blue a- alien that says "etragram of full bazets," and apparently that is translated as "the taste that's out of this world." Uh, it's a Reese's peanut Reese's Pieces ad. Uh, the only thing I could think of is originally this was supposed to be ET, but then that fell through. So now we've got this alien thing. Um, Backlash from that damn Atari game. Bonkers. <laughs> Remember Bonkers fruit shoes? Wait, no, hold weird... on. I'm thinking of Bonk's Adventure. Uh yeah, it, it was it was a it was a candy that had an uh, ad campaign with this woman with glasses, uh, and I'm now remembering more of that than I really ever wanted to. Some some things are best left forgotten. There's an ad for the uh, where you could join the NFL Super Pro Club. This is before NFL Super Pro was a, was a character, by the way. <laughs> yeah, no, he wasn't until later because I did buy those issues. Uh, there's the uh, Captain O ad, which was basically a multi-level marketing scheme for kids, the Olympic Sales Club. Oh, I remember those. Yeah, because I'm reading also, this on Unlimited, so I don't have any ads, unfortunately. Yeah, there's also an ad. It's, it's, it's one of those hodgepodge ads where you can get, apparently, Texas rattlesnake eggs. Uh, I, I don't think those are actual Texas rattlesnake eggs, because or what? that seems... The Dangerous? Young Poisoners Club of America or something? Yeah. Uh, we have the bullpen bulletins, which has the checklist. And man, what a great assemblage of comics. G.I. Joe number 35, which is still in like the, the like getting into the heyday of that book. Yeah. Which is really awesome. This is when Star Comics launched, too. So you had Peter Porker, the Spectacular oh. Spider-Ham. Royal Roy? <laughs> yes. Uh, Muppet Babies, The Get Along Gang. Why have we not gotten our gritty reboot of The Get Along Gang? I think that's uh, I think that should be the next one on the list. Uh, you know, um, it was one of the two. It's either Royal Roy or Planet Terry. A grown-up version of them shows up in the Asgardians of the Galaxy series that came out several years ago. Really? Yes. Wow. Okay. <laughs> They only appear in like an issue or two where they're like, 
because the team ends up on like this planet with, and like there's a bunch of random space characters, including Pip the Troll, who have been like stuck there for a while. And I forget which one it is, but it's either Planetary or Royal Roy. So j- just to let people know who are listening that may not be familiar with what we're talking about, in 1985, Marvel launched a line that was directed really towards little kids. A lot of them were um, more uh, licensed books. Uh, eventually, in 86, you would have like a He-Man and the Masters of the Universe comic. Yeah, and wasn't there like a Heathcliff one too, I think? There was a Heathcliff and... That Masters of the Universe book was the first comic I ever tried to collect. I got to issue four and then just stopped. But it, it, it's an interesting line. It, it lasted a couple of years and then kind of faded away as, as most of those, as most yeah. things directed towards kids do, which is kind of weird. There is a subscription ad, and this, is, this, this subscription ad is going to depress everybody. Special 1984 prices for the last time in 1985. The first subscription of any comic for 12 issues is $6. Which is $1.80 savings over the regular subscription price of $7.80. Oh, I'd still take that one. And you know how popular G.I. Joe is because it's Duke that's on the subscription ad. Actually, uh, that might be Hawk. Because yeah, Duke wasn't something. a big deal in the comic, now that I'm thinking about it. And wait, I'm looking at this comic that I got last, you know, a few weeks ago here. $3.99. Yep, <laughs> yeah, for one issue. So for two issues, I could have gotten 12 there's also a thing in the ad, in the back. It's basically a uh, has Spider-Man like crashing into this building, and it's asking the reader, "What do you want to see ads about?" And the choices are electronic games, candy, snacks, toys and models, clothing, sneakers, computers, hardware and software, or others. Back when I guess Marvel cared. Um, what can you con your parents into buying for you? Tell us. <laughs> and there's a Star Comics ad on the back cover, which has Heathcliff and the Get Along Gang, Strawberry Shortcakes there, the Ewoks. That's right, those are um, Ewoks Android series, too. Yep, there was um, Fraggle Rock, Top Dog, Wally the Wizard. But yeah, it was Planet Terry, Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man, Spider-Ham, movie star, by the way. Yes. Uh, Wally, the Wizard, Top Dog, and Royal Roy. They were the newest, I guess those were the original characters, or were they licensed too? That doesn't matter. (laughs) But yeah, it's so quaint. It's just like, wow, they, they were really trying on this. Yeah, it's kind of funny, like, things for kids. It's, like, it's done with, like, the attention span of a child. Like, they do it, and, like, they kind of just kind of forget about it eventually. Yeah, we got, you got to realize that Marvel Marvel had a had a really long and rich history, more so than DC Comics of licensed characters. I think their ALF series went to, like, issue 50. Yeah, that's right. It had at least two annuals. Yes. <laughs> yes, it did. Including an uh, evolutionary war sort of crossover. 
But no, I loved this comic. This is like, <laughs> I'm showing my age, but this is like, this is the comic that I felt like a kid again reading this. It was just, it was just so exciting. And I'm like, I'm really glad I chose these. <laughs> oh, I found it. As Guardians of the Galaxy 6, at least, I mean, maybe he's in 7 too. Planetary. <laughs> he's stuck on this planet with Cammy, if you know who that is. Like the, uh, she was like the teen sidekick to Drax for a little bit. Okay. Uh, Torgo. There's a, I know he fought the thing at some point during the, Fanta- the Kirby run of FF. Uh, Pip. And one or two other characters, I don't know. And the 20th century version of Yondu. The one who's more like the movie version. Not the one that looks like he listens to a lot of new wave and punk music. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, they, they've kind of retconned that to say, like, the one that we know from the Guardians of the, Gal- you know, from Guardians of the Galaxy, from the, you know, the old one, is from the 31st century. And the one that's like, there's one like the movie one who's from the 21st century. It's an ancestor. That, that is a great both. way to get you to have your cake and eat it too. But yeah, Planetary's here. He's all grown up, still wearing the costume, but it's Planetary. The red and yellow costume? Yeah. Oh yeah, it's the exact same costume. He's just grown up. No jetpack, but he has, he, he does have what looks like he I mean, it looks like a ray gun. That's great. Uh sometimes sometimes modern comics can be fun, I guess. Yeah. I haven't read one in the longest time but still <laughs> but no i'm so i'm so glad we're, we're talking about this i can't wait to get to the next issue oh yeah and we will get to that in just a few minutes did you leave the car running andy i did i'm not sure why but i did it, it it's important like getting these comics from ryan and chris's nightcast offices why are we getting these comics from ryan and chris so, since Nightcast isn't covering what they originally set out to cover, I thought it would be fun to talk about the Jim Starlin run of Batman, so we're getting the comics from them to do that. And, and they know that we're doing this? What, that we're covering Batman issues 414 to 430? Yeah, totally. I, I checked in with them and everything. So you got permission to get these comics, which includes the storylines, Ten Nights of the Beast, The Cult, and The Death in the Family. I totally told them we were covering these books, yes. And we're starting these episodes in May. That is, if you actually edit them on time. Yeah, Andy. The the series starts in May and can be found on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and at www.fortressofbailey2.com. Busting my balls and everything. <sighs> All right, right, right. Let's, let's hurry up. There are listeners that want to hear this, and I have to get back to Atlanta in 28 hours so I can get my flight home. Oh, no problem. I got the comics right here. What's going on here? Andy? Mike? What are you doing here? Why do you have our comics? Say, Mike. Yes, Andy. We didn't get permission to take these comics, did we? No, Andy. And when you told me to get the box out of the car, you were really picking the lock to get in here? Yes, Andy. So what do we do now? Well, uh, we could try to talk our way out of this, but when I tell you to run, run! The Overlooked Dark Knight covers the Jim Starlin Batman run, a multi-part series of episodes beginning in May of 2020. From the grisly dumpster killings, to a death in the family, and everything in between. The Overlooked Dark Knight is part of the Fortress of Bailey Tude podcasting network, 
located at www.fortressofbailitude.com. The show is also available on Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store, and Spotify. I'm going to barbecue your ass in molasses! And we got a few more issues of Avengers to cover this episode. And next up is issue 256, This Power Unleashed. So let me drop in a quick synopsis here, and then Mike and I will be back to talk about this one. Avengers number 256, This Power Unleashed. Writer, Roger Stern. Breakdowns, John Buscema. Finishes, Tom Palmer. Colors, Christy Scheel. Letters, Jim Novak. Cover art by John Buscema, Tom Palmer, and Christy Scheel. Editor, Mark Grunewald with Howard Mackey. Cover dated June 1985. On sale date March 12, 1985, with a cover price of 65 cents. You can find this reprinted in Dyrasher number 16, a German reprint, Secret Wars 2 number 47, a 1986 UK reprint, Los Vengadores number 57, a 1987 Spanish reprint, Strange, number 220, a 1988 French reprint. Avengers, the Legacy of Thanos trade paperback from 2014. And digitally on Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited and other digital sites. The Olympian Apollo visits Avengers Mansion, bringing Hercules a new costume to replace his previous garb, shredded in battle. Then, at the team's regular meeting, the Wasp is reinstated as chairman, and the Black Knight officially rejoins the roster. The team is then summoned to the site of a South Atlantic shipwreck, where they learn of a monstrous extraterrestrial menace called Terminus. Following the mystery being's trail, they rescue the staff of a wrecked Antarctic research station and deduce that their quarry has entered the hidden primeval jungle known as the Savage Land, where, at that very moment, the giant alien menaces a party of researchers and their guide, Kazar. All right, so Mike, Avengers 256, Into the Savage Land. Yeah, I was about to say. I think that's a. I think that's a better title. That um, is a better title. I I went to the first page to see what it was called. I'm like, eh, that's not as cool as Into the Savage Land. Uh, but I I I do enjoy um, how Stern continues that this is a very New York centric book, as most of the Marvel universe was very New York City centric. Yes. By having Apollo come in. Um, I know that that Hercules is uncomfortable. I'm kind of digging him in the army fatigues. <laughs> it's a different look. He's more clothed. And he I like how own, he like, still has to wear his belt, though. <laughs> and, yeah, and he kind of has his own like Power Girl look because he has the thing unzipped the whole way. Mm-hmm. Well, he's hot, so yeah. Yeah, it's just, those things are probably warm. Uh, <laughs> no, this is a. Uh, the, the, the thing about these issues that, that I'm enjoying, as I said, I'm reading most of them for the first time, is that I'm I'm dropped right in the middle of the Stern run, and yet he gives me all of the information I need to understand what's going on, but I don't feel like it's overly exposition-y. You're not getting like three pages of, this. I remember this happening to us last, t- last month. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's like we, we have the whole thing where basically Hercules is getting a new costume. And so we're having Apollo do that and have some fun stuff with Jarvis. And then we move into the Black Knight scene. Uh, and I 
I know nothing about this character, and yet the way Stern writes him, I like him. I really yeah. do. <laughs> yeah, and that's probably one of the reasons why they brought him back as a big character in the '90s as part of the team, like the leader of the team. But uh, and it's Started a pretty cool costume yeah. that recent. Didn't this? I think this got a yeah. This got a, a Marvel Legends figure a couple years ago. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, and it looked really sweet too. Like I almost bought it, but then I'm like, I don't really care about the Black Knight all that much, so I. It's not like shelf space is a premium, but at the same time, if you buy everything, you're you're eventually going to just be buried in plastic. Oh, God, yes, I know that feeling. I've been there before <laughs> to the point where it's like, oh, OK, now I'm just going to buy these things because otherwise there's no room. No, buying buying everything is a single person's game. Yes, that is a very much a single person's game. <laughs> what, once you are involved in a relationship and living with that person, then it's all of a sudden like, OK, how much trouble am I going to be in for this? And is it worth it? Uh, Janet is very 80s with her leg warmers. Oh, God, that was great. Um, and I, I have to say, it's it's kind of weird. The way the artwork looks on page five in that first panel, it looks like her trunks are... Like, there's no differentiation between the end of her trunks and, where, and the Black Knight. So it almost looks like she just has a stretch of fabric that's being taken off. Uh, oh, you're right. In, in a weird way, and I'm like, "Is that what? No, no, they're not. They're not doing that." But yeah, because the fold on his costume there is exactly where hers is. You're yes, right. it's it, so. <laughs> that was a little confusing, but I really like the dynamic between the two. Uh, I like that Dane has no idea what's going on. <laughs> no, he's been in the 12th century yeah. for like the majority, like since like the mid 70s. Yes. So. He, he doesn't know anything about the vision. He doesn't know that Jan and, and Hank are divorced at this time. Uh, that Spider-Man has a new costume. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, what's going on here? Who are you people? Yeah, it's been like a full year since that costume was a thing, too. So uh, that might have been more for like newer readers of Avengers that may not be even paying attention to Spider-Man. Mm, possibly. Uh, though I am fascinated that, that Spider-Man does pop up in a couple of issues because it was the black costume that was like at the beginning of the era right after Stern was writing the character. And he gets to write him again here, briefly. Uh, we'll and then, I guess more germane to your show, Star Fox shows up. Yes, and they have a little... yeah. The I like, to, I like this little thing of him and the wasp in the elevator, and I like his explanation. It's like, I only use it against enemies, and it's just a way to make it more civilized instead of just punching people. I just make them not want to fight me. It's one of the, it's it's an adult conversation, for one thing, which I don't think we're used to sometimes. <laughs> no one hit each other. In, in certain modern, more modern comics, people don't really have, a, like, actual adult conversations. <laughs> But and and Star Fox, I God, wasn't it during uh, Slot's run on She-Hulk that a bunch of people sued him. Yes, I, uh, I mean I haven't read that, but I understand from what I've read about it. Yes. So and this is kind of like it's like Stern settled the matter here, but I guess twenty some odd years later, it's fodder for uh, a, a newer writer to to take it up as a mantle, but. I get what Jan is saying here. Yeah. There's like, a reason that is something you need to disclose. We've got a, there, there was a, 
I like the uh, at least the first part of Bendis's new Avengers run, and that's because again I I'm not as much of a Marvel person, uh, so I guess I have less of a dog in the fight. But there was a, a scene in in one of the early storylines. I don't know if it was the second or the third, but it was the one where they brought Sentry onto the team and they're talking about Jessica Drew's powers make her sultry to like men naturally are attracted to her because she's got this pheromone thing. Yes. And there's this really great scene of Spider-Man and Luke Cage going, Oh God, I thought it was just me. (laughs) And, but at least she disclosed it to them. Whereas Star Fox, Star Fox isn't human, y'all. Yeah, but you're right. I did like this conversation because it also makes sense character-wise in the fact that in the Avengers, they don't really have many telepaths. I mean, the only one I could think of they had up until this point was Moondragon. So if that's your main experience with telepaths, you're going to be a little uncomfortable. (laughs) You know, this is not the X-Men where... You know, they had Xavier all the time, and this was especially the period before, you know, Xavier got more creepy and more unethical with his powers. But, you know, you had Xavier and Jean Grey, and Psylocke was joining near the, you know, was going to be joining soon. It's like, there's always someone that reads minds there. Here, it's like, wait, you have mind powers? Hold on, that's weird. She's used yeah, to people hitting things and blasting things. It's like... It's like the mutants are are the living embodiment of that James Franco first time uh, meme where he's got the noose around his neck. (laughs) Oh, dealing with the telepath first time. Yeah, it's like, yep, join the club. But I think more than anything, and uh, I, I don't have a greater understanding of the run, I really like that Stern is setting the Wasp up as such a strong character. And actually one of the letter writers uh, in one of the issues talks about that. Uh, It's kind of funny. Yeah, she's dressed in a jazzercise outfit. Uh, There's no mistaking that. I expect any minute now she's going to sit down on a a chair, pull a thing, and a bunch of water is just going to dump on her. Because uh, she is a maniac, a maniac on the floor. Um, but I like that she's confronted with Apollo and she just gets in his face. <laughs> yeah. She's like, who are you and what are you doing here? Like, I need to know what's going on. I'm in charge. Then she's a little flirty with Hercules because, of course. <laughs> But also the nice thing about her is like, as like you said, her, her leadership is the moment she knows it's, oh, it's Hercules' brother. Okay, okay cool. Yeah, we're good. We're good. <laughs> yeah. Move along. We don't need to be unnecessarily abrasive just because I'm in charge and I have to be yelling to, you know, show that I'm in charge. I do like the dialogue here. Where on earth did you get that outfit? Nowhere on earth, Janet. Uh, but yeah, this is this is the the Hercules outfit that would stick around for a good a good bit and yeah. get brought back every once in a while. Um, yeah, this is the classic Hercules as I think of. I uh, I also think that maybe he should have a power sword and a giant cat <laughs> to ride around on. Uh, hmm. 
little, yeah. There's a little He-Man there. Uh, it is a little reminiscent, and this would be the perfect timing for that. Yeah, because this is this is right at the zenith of the Masters of the Universe line being popular. Oh God, yeah. So yeah, '85 was like the big year for that line, uh, and I doubt that's why they did it. Uh, but if if that is one of the reasons, I don't blame them. No, no, it does not hurt to have someone on your covers who kind of resembles He Man a bit. There um, on the next page, as Apollo leaves, and we got the the, the agents uh, doing their reconnaissance. Captain America drives up and you've got Howard 387 and Mike 128 uh, as graffiti on the wall. I'm wondering if that's references to Howard Mackey and Mike Carlin, who were assistant editors at the time. Were they maybe the only ones at the office who were fans of the movie Turk 182? Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe. I mean, I mean well, three, 387, wasn't that Marvel's address? That's that that is an excellent that is an excellent looking question. I, wish I, I like thought that about they, that beforehand. Uh, do, 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 do. Address eighty. Oh wait, it's right in the thing. <laughs> it's in the back of the book, Mike. Stop being an idiot. <laughs> uh, see, I don't have that because I'm I'm on Marvel Unlimited, so I just have the actual story. Yeah, three eighty seven Park Avenue. All right. So there you go. And Howard Mackey was the assistant editor. I wonder if Mike lives on 128. That, that, that's entirely possible. And I, uh, but yeah, he was Gruenwald's assistant. Mike Carlin was Gruenwald's assistant, though. Um, I do remember that. No, and then we get a full meeting of the team. The artwork on this, uh, uh, the artwork of a bunch of people sitting around talking is amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's Busema. I mean, come on. There's shadowing going on. There's, there's, so, you know, there's some great expressions. Uh, I'm not big on the Wasp's costume at this point, but we also get on page 10, like one of the best segues to go from the stuff going on Earth to the stuff going on in space. Yeah, yeah. But each one of them is thinking about some things that are going on to kind of catch us up a little bit. And the last one is Cap thinking about Captain Marvel, and then we go to Captain Marvel. As she's been stuck in space on Sanctuary 2 when they kidnapped her last time. And Yeah, her, her end of things really doesn't get a whole lot in this specific issue. Uh, this is mostly setting up the Terminus storyline, yeah. Uh, which I think makes sense because this is the subplot that's setting up an uh, like a an, this is the B story that's setting up an A story in like three issues. Yeah. So, so we're not going to devote out. too much. Yeah, we're not going to devote too much real estate to it because we got this Terminus story uh, to tell, and. I don't know. This is really big, you know, John Buscema, Jack Kirby stuff. Uh, we got the Savage Land coming, you know, in the mix. We've got Kazar and Zabu, who um, there is a character I have never really felt one way or the other for. Kazar? In all honesty. Kazar, yeah. I, I'm just, I'm not much for jungle pulpy characters, I guess. 
I mean, I like that he exists. I like that there's someone in the Savage Land. But yeah, I mean, I've the only time I've really read a series of his is the Mark Wade Adam Kubert series from like the late nineties. Mm-hmm. I remember when that was a thing too. Wade was really excited about doing that book. Yeah. Remember he said he was going to make Zabu Captain to Kazar what Captain America's shield is to Cap. Um, I th- I think I have more. I think I like Zabu more. <laughs> I'm more excited to see Zabu than the Kazar half the time. Well, Zabu can do things on his own. Yeah. Whereas the shield just sits there until Cap does something with it. And plus, Zabu has that cool look. I mean, it's a saber toothed tiger. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an awesome look. But yeah, you can really tell that um, Busema was not as enamored of the superhero stuff as some of the other things. Because the superhero stuff looks great. Once he gets into the Savage Land, it's it's like suddenly the, the book comes alive again. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he was thrilled then to get the plot of the next two issues and go, wait, what's happening? Yeah, exactly. And so, so that's Terminus. Big giant robot looking guy. Yeah, that's um that's certainly a Marvel character. <laughs> I, don't um, else, I really don't know what else to say about Terminus. Oh no, he definitely is. And wasn't he the first villain fought in JLA Avengers? I think he JLA was. Side? It's been it has been well over a decade since I've read that story, but I it's, I think you're I think you're right. I think they do fight the fight Terminus. Yeah, because I know the Avengers fight Starro. And I'm pretty sure it's the JLA against Terminus. I'm going to have to go back and look at that later. But all the stuff where they're finding the, 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 the research station, this all feels very, very 80s. But also feels very pulpy uh, at the same time. Uh, and maybe it's because I'm listening to old radio shows at the moment where j- jotting off to distant lands is kind of a thing you do. Uh, it's kind of interesting that this 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 particular issue starts off in New York City, is very steeped in New York City, and then suddenly we're in the ocean, and then we're in the Arctic, and then we're in the Savage Land, and nothing feels out of place. It doesn't feel like disjointed. It it all just makes perfect sense. No, yeah, it's, and you're right. I didn't think about the pulp factor, but yeah, I mean, it is very much like a at the mountains of madness type of thing where mm-hmm. they you know start off and then they head off into this, you know, middle of Antarctica, this research station where they're like, it's just them by themselves, very isolated now. But, and to be honest, to be fair, if we think about it now, we are almost as much of a time difference between when this issue came out and now as when this issue would have came out and like when the pulps were existing. Oh yeah. I mean, we're, we're almost, we're a couple, we're three years away from this being a 40 year old story. Yeah. And it was 40 years, you know, from when this was published that the pulps were were a thing. So, oh, my God, we're old. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, I've said <laughs> it before in other things, but the lo- older I get, the more I look and I go, how is it in like 88, 89, the 70s stuff seems so old, so long ago? Yeah. And- <laughs> That is like a drop in the bucket time-wise, considering how like this time period and now is. Yeah, it, it, I, I keep having to remind people, you know, Infinite Crisis was like 17 years ago. 17 years ago. In, in, in a year, it can legally vote. The thing that gets me the most is when I finally realized 
Wait, the time period, like, I used to think it was a, such a long period of time that the JSA was gone from when they were published initially till they come back. It's like 11 years. Yeah, it, 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 there, there really isn't that much. That's it, 2011. Less, yeah, yeah, I was about to say. And that doesn't feel too long ago either. The, um, the, the Captain Marvel scene is short, but I actually think it's kind of cool how Stern uh, and the artists play with her powers. Yeah, and the fact that since she gets her powers back after thinking they were gone, it even though it's only a few pages, we feel like something happened there. Mm-hmm. It's not just her staying there talking to this guy again, even though that's what's happening. Yeah, and I do like that. This is like, well, Levin, what did she say? Is she throwing in with us? Not yet, but she'll come around. They all do eventually. And it's just like, no, and that changes completely in the next issue. Oh, yeah. But no, this is this is this was a fun book. Yeah, this this, this was, issue I had a ball reading. Uh, I actually had a why, ball reading all of them. Well, yeah, this is why this run is so still considered a great run of Avengers. Yeah, really, really different from what people think of as the Avengers today. But a lot of the foundation of what people think of as the Avengers is is wrapped up in this one. And I have to say, I'm really liking this, like, small strike team version of Avengers as opposed to, like, one of those, you know, we're, we're so used to now, like, this large grouping of, like, 10 to 12, because let's face it, like, everyone's an Avenger now. And we really only have, since Captain Marvel's not really part, with the team here, we only have five of them. Yeah, it's Cap, Wasp, Black Knight, Hercules, and Star Fox. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, two of them don't really have powers, quote, unquote. Nope. Yeah. Uh, Captain nope. Black Knight are just trained and you know trained and able to fight. No, I I, I like this one a lot. Yeah, this was fun. Hi everybody, my name's Hub, and I host a show called Titan Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. Every week. We read either a Defenders comic book from the 70s or a New Teen Titans comic from the 80s. I give a synopsis of that comic that I have handcrafted to amuse and inform. And then my good-for-many-things brother Corey comes over and we talk about what we found interesting about the comic we just read. It's a lot of fun and we hope you'll join us for it. Anything you'd like to add, Corey? I like cocaine from an animal's butthole. Mm, It is. So good. It is. Paradise. Well, Corey, I don't really think that's appropriate. We're trying to do a promotion for our podcast here. Shut up. Okay, fair enough. Any final thoughts? Of course. Well, let's hear them. I have eaten all the beaver butt. (laughs) You have eaten none. And beaver's butt is pretty good. There you have it. Tighten up the defense. That's T-I-T-A-N. You can find it wherever podcasts are found. It's probably worth mentioning. I'm the one who does the editing. Catch the wave of the future and hang 10 on it with us, Cowabunga. Avengers number 257, Holocaust in a Hidden Land. Writer, Roger Stern. Breakdowns, John Buscema. Finishes, Tom Palmer. Colors, Christy Scheel. Letters, Jim Novak. Cover art, John Buscema, Tom Palmer, and Christy Scheel. Editor, Mark Grunewald with Howard Mackey. Cover date, July 1985. On sale date, April 9th, 1985, with a cover price of 65 cents. 
You can find this reprinted in Dyeratia number 16, a German reprint, Secret Wars 2 number 47, a 1986 UK reprint, Los Vengadores number 58, a 1987 Spanish reprint, Strange number 221, a 1988 French reprint, Avengers The Legacy of Thanos trade paperback from 2014, and digitally on Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited and other digital sites. In Deep Space, Captain Marvel is introduced to Nebula, the merciless mistress of her abductors. Back on Earth, the Avengers fall terminus into the Savage Land, where they meet Kazar and Zabu, the only survivors of the research group's deadly encounter with the alien. Kazar's wife, Shanna, is rescued by Star Fox, as Terminus, blasting through a plateau, enters the larger jungle region of Pangaea, and commences to devastate it. The Avengers pursue their quarry, but he easily sweeps their Quinjet from the skies, even as the jungle, its artificial environment wrecked, begins to revert to the normal Antarctic climate. When the Black Knight severs the creature's hand with his sword, Terminus is revealed as a robot exoskeleton. Star Fox then hurls Hercules at their foe, and the Olympian rips through Terminus's armor, exposing the large, helpless creature within to the deadly elements. All right, I guess on to 257. Which has, by the way, an, um, a really striking cover that I think almost gets lost in how Terminus is just completely yellow. Yeah, that's, the coloring's a little weird. Like, wait, what? Uh, I mean, it, it really makes the Avengers stand out before okay. him. But I don't know. It's weird. I, I'm trying not to complain here. <laughs> yeah, if you really. don't like it, you complain. So well, it's not that I don't like it. I just think that coloring him all yellow. I, were they up against a deadline? I mean, were we really just trying to get the issue out? Mm, possibly. And it, was, and it was like Infinite Crisis Seven, where they just colored pages red. <laughs> to, to, good enough. Uh, good enough. Uh, but this red. one opens with Zazu uh, dragging Kazar to um, the water to and splashing him. <laughs> yeah. And I like that Cap calls him Lord Plunder. He's very formal. Which, by the way, a bit on the nose of the white savior trope. <laughs> yes. The dude's name is Plunder. Isn't that the last name of the bad guy in... Um, Captain Planet, too. Oh, God, it's been so long since I've seen that. <laughs> uh, Captain Planet. The best thing about the splash page, which is it's kind of like a splash upper part of the page. One, Black Knight and Cap look awesome. But I also like that Hercules is trying to pet Zazu, and Zazu is having none of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's... Bl okay, I'm looking him up real quick. I think it's Blight. I thought that was the Batman Beyond villain. Well, there was one that too, but oh wait, no, no, there is a guy. Never mind, loot and plunder. Loot, yes, yeah. <laughs> which Never was mind, even more right. on the nose. <laughs> no. There was also a Doctor Blight. Uh, uh, well, that makes sense. Who was played by Meg Ryan? Yep. No, that show had a weird pedigree as far as the voice cast. John Ratzenberger, Ed Asner, oh. Tim Curry, Whoopi Goldberg. Yep. Martin uh, Sheen? Whoopi Goldberg was Gaia. Yeah, Martin Sheen, Gene Stockwell. Holy crap! Yeah, it was one of those one of those shows that wasn't very good. Uh, I was not a fan. Uh, of course, I was probably a little too old for it as well. Yeah. Uh, in, in all honesty, but 
Yeah, looking at that voice cast, it's like they got they got some people to come out and play. So no, there they you go. did. But yeah, no, the, the, that's what that was my favorite part of that little splash page is Hercules trying to like pet the cat or keep like, I'll keep the cat here. And then we have Terminus show up, and he looks like a He-Man villain here. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, Terminus looks like he's trying to get membership into the Horde. Uh, <laughs> with that little red splash looking like the bat from Hordak. It does look... Oh, I never caught that. <laughs> so, and really, this issue is more of a just a straight adventure story, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, it's just them trying to fight Terminus and Terminus completely destroying the Savage Land and Pangea. Yeah. It's all gone by the end of this issue. Which is kind of daring, really. and But also reminds me that Marvel does this all the time. Marvel will constantly like destroy some long-standing concept like the Savage Land. Only to have like a couple years later, nah, it's back. How that happened? Yeah. Nah, it did. Yeah, they bring this back, and that's right. It doesn't take that. I, I thought it was gone for a longer time, but that's right. It comes back in the Evolutionary War, mm-hmm. which is like eighty-eight. No, no, eighty-nine was yeah, eighty-eight. Yeah, eighty-eight was the Evolutionary War. Eighty-nine was Atlantis attacks. Yeah. So it's just weird. Although I wonder what was the plan for Kazar after this. I mean, once you destroy a Savage Land, it's like, well, well what's Kazar going to do? I think they did try to do something for him, like kind of like, you know, Jungle Man in the city. Like mm-hmm. Tarzan in New York, kind of. Yeah, I mean, that works as a brief period of time, but it's always better when you can send them back where they need to be. But the, uh, again, more germane to the to the remit of uh, of your show is we finally get Nebula. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Marvel is led to their, you know, led to the guy and she meets their leader, Nebula, who definitely not as much fun as she is in the movies. I, You know, th- that is something I kind of wonder, because like around the time Infinity War came out, for example, uh, I know that they were doing I think they did a new trade paperback or at least reissued Infinity Gauntlet. And I'm kind of wondering what people who fell in love with these characters through the Marvel movies make of their comic book, their comic book counterparts. Like Thanos. Very different in the comics, but, you know, he's a big dude that does cosmic stuff. (laughs) So his his motivations are similar but Starlin always put in that kind of he always defeats himself thing, uh, which was very much not part of the movie, uh, though I, you could probably make an argument it was. But Nebula is just like bald cyborg chick from from the movies. And here she is very much human or humanoid, at least. Yeah, no, I remember Nebula. And that's one of the things I'm interested in doing here is re acquainting myself with nebula because the bit i knew about nebula before is she just kind of felt to me like boring space generic space pirate and was always a character one of the characters that i always liked more once they brought her into the movies than in the comics like uh loki for instance is always more interesting you know loki before was just i'm evil because i'm evil and And a giant horned helmet yes 
And after the movies, he actually, and then they brought put that into the comics. He got more depth to him. You know, there was more. It was more interesting to me. And Nebula was along the same lines. Like once they do the movies, that's a character I had no issue whatsoever. If they just went back and retroactively was like, nope, she was bald and had the cyborg looking stuff. I'm like, fine with me. Well, it was also the thing that, you know, her and Gamora had the sibling rivalry thing going on, which you don't have any of that here. She is literally just the leader of a band of mercenaries that wants to conquer what is, le- as she says on page 12, they're there to conquer what's left of the Skrull Empire. Yeah. And, and it, there's nothing even relating her to Thanos other than wanting to steal a ship in these issues that we're covering right now. And that's the thing is I, I think I, I think both Marvel and DC have very rich intergalactic characters, like space characters. I just always felt that Marvel did more with theirs on a consistent basis. True. I mean, DC really only had the Green Lantern, whatever was showing up in Green Lantern for the most part and, up until Crisis, with the exception of like then you have the Omega Man, but... Most yeah, people and, will consider that. And before Invasion, like most of the alien races were in Legion. Yes. Uh, and yeah. then in New Teen Titans uh, yeah. came along. But New Teen Titans was very much a Marvel book done in the DC universe. So yeah. you have that going. You have That's that true. to consider as well. Yeah, no, it wasn't really until post-crisis and post-invasion, like you said, where you had books like the LEGIOM book, mm-hmm. where you started really doing things with, with DC's cosmic stuff a lot. Whereas, as your show is proving, Marvel was doing cosmic stuff all the way through. Yeah. It may be something like this where it's kind of ducked into a, an Avenger story. Or back in the 60s, it was mostly in the Fantastic Four. But, yeah, it, it really might. And even Terminus uh, is kind of a, a cosmic character, uh, very much in the Galactus. I'm surprised he's not a herald of Galactus, in all honesty. <laughs> He's got a giant spear. He's ultra powerful. He just likes causing a ruckus. That feels like a Herald of Galactus to me. I think you're thinking about the next issue. Well, that, that, that's that's very true. But what I like about the the Captain Marvel part of it is that, again, it, it's it's just there to kind of keep us keep that plate spinning. Uh, you know, it's just like, you know, Roger has like the main thing he's working on, but he's got this other thing that's going to be really important in like two issues. So let's go over there and spin that plate a couple more times and keep it going. But in a way that, OK, now we've introduced Nebula and now we know why they're there. They're there to just to conquer what's left of the Skrull Empire. And the Kree Skrull War is one of the like classic Avenger stories. So everything feels like, oh, we're leading to something really big here. Yeah, and I'm no, the Silver Surfer series wasn't out yet. That's right. Nope, not yet. Um, that was eighty-seven. Yeah, yeah, you're right, eighty-seven. Because I've been reading that one, and there is a new Kree Scroll War going on, <laughs> and that where I'm reading that, I'm like issue twenty-six, twenty-five, and they're right in the middle of a new Kree Scroll War there. It's like certain parts of the uh, of our planet. Those people are always going to be fighting, and there's nothing we can do about it. So we might as well stay out of it. <laughs> yeah, they're just that's what they do. They're the itchy and scratchy of the you know Marvel cosmic. But but here's the thing about Roger Stern as a writer that I find fascinating. He was very much uh, like, like if you read his Superman work, especially 
through Reign of the Superman and a little bit after, uh, you know, through Reign of the Superman, it seemed, and if you even read his, the Death and Life of Superman novel that he wrote, he seems to have a problem at that point with heroes that are more vicious and are more apt to solve their problems through like violence, which is really what the Eradicator was during Reign of the Superman. He was kind of the, okay, this Superman does go overboard. Here's yeah, why that doesn't work. Yeah, I was going to say, because he was doing action comics at that time, right? So yeah. he was the one doing the Eradicator stories during the death and return. Okay, so I want to make sure. But his Avenger stories, they flat out leave Terminus to die here in the snow. <laughs> well, specifically Hercules. Yeah, but still, I mean, there, there's a later story where Cap, like, electrocutes somebody. So it, it's it's like in, in with these characters, and maybe because it's the Marvel Universe, it's not like it's bloodthirsty. And pardon the pun, that's really cold. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I know. I feel bad about saying it, but I just love that he is, Terminus is nothing but running his mouth the entire issue. And now he's like, you can't leave me like this. I'm the master of the planet, this planet, the ravager of a thousand worlds. You must do as I say. Come back. You must obey me. Do you hear? It can't end this way. And the snow's just covering up, up yeah. more and more. <laughs> yeah. It's a really good ending. <laughs> It does work better, though, if Hercules doing it than, let's say, Captain America. It, has a different, it would have a different feel if it was Cap doing it. But Hercules makes perfect sense. The guy's oh, yeah, fought Her- monsters for 2,000 years. He's like, this is what you do with monsters. <laughs> you, you either kill them or let them die. Yeah. 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 If I had a sword, trust me, I would just be doing, like, the Hydra. I would cut his hand off and burn it there. Like, nope, can't burn anymore. But, yeah, but, yeah Hercules is... Uh... I love the surprise, though, at what Terminus actually is. He's just a blobby character. He looks like Sleaze from the Superman books, you know, several years before Sleaze was a thing. Yeah. Oh, thank (laughs) God. Ironically, a character, I think, created by Roger Stern. (laughs) Now, Byrne created him uh, for that two, that big Barta Mr. Miracle thing. But uh, and then he was um, was like Funland or something at the amusement park. Yeah, that was later. Uh, but between that, that he he was the one that was responsible for the Cadmus Project cloning the Newsboy Legion and the Guardian uh, in Superman Annual Number Two. I remember that. Huh. So, but no, uh, you know, I, I feel bad because it feels like I don't have much to say about these issues, but they were just really good. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, sometimes it's it's easier to talk about the bad issues than the good ones. Yeah. Because you can you can go into exactly why it's bothering you so much, and also because while these are good issues, these are mostly fight issues. Mm-hmm. So it's like uh, we talk about Hercules punches him. Yeah, and 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 you know, two fifty seven was a really dense, dialogue heavy issue as we're we're setting things up. Two fifty eight, uh, two fifty six, excuse me, two fifty seven is just mainly a, a big huge fight, as is kind of two fifty eight which has Fire Lord coming soon from Remco on the cover. <laughs> he does look like he could be part of the Warlord series. Yeah, he really does. I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that is a bad thing, but he does look like he's, he's got that build. <laughs> yeah, he looks like he'd be the, the, you know, coming soon, Warlord and Hercules and 
Fire Lord and Machiste. And I think Eric, yeah, Eric got one too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They had like a couple of random characters, like Eric and like the Hercules from Hercules Unbound and mm-hmm. Avengers number two fifty eight. Pyrrhic victory. Writer Roger Stern. Breakdowns John Buscema. Finishes Tom Palmer. Colors Christy Scheel. Letters Jim Novak. Cover art by John Buscema and Tom Palmer. Editor Mark Grunewald with Howard Mackey. Cover dated August 1985. On sale date May 7th, 1985, with a cover price of 65 cents. You can find this reprinted in Dyrasher number 16, a German reprint. Secret Wars 2, number 47, a 1986 UK reprint. Los Vengadores, number 58, a 1987 Spanish reprint. Strange, number 222, a 1988 French reprint. Avengers, The Legacy of Thanos trade paperback from 2014. And digitally on Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited and other digital sites. Upset at the destruction of the Savage Land, the Avengers return home to find that National Security Council agents have invaded their headquarters. According to Raymond Sikorsky, in light of information from the Vision's debriefing, the Avengers' priority clearance has been suspended. Before the heroes can protest, they are called into action against a rampaging Fire Lord, only to find the former Herald of Galactus already defeated by Spider-Man. Fortunately, when Fire Lord regains his senses, his past ally Hercules is able to restrain him from further destruction. Meanwhile, Nebula plots to use Captain Marvel in her quest to conquer the remains of the Skrull Empire. However, when she has her reluctant ally scout a scroll base, Captain Marvel manages to beam a message to Earth, but seconds later, the base is seemingly obliterated by Nebula's antimatter torpedo. But uh, 258 is kind of a, a special book to me because in Christmas of 1985, I got, as one of my presents, in addition to the pant load of superpowers figures I got that Christmas, uh, plus the Hall of Justice, plus the Batmobile, plus the Supermobile. It was a good oh, wow. Christmas for me. Uh, Sears at one point, and I think I mentioned this in one of the last episodes we did, Sears put out like big, huge packs of comics. And it was usually about two months worth of Marvel books. And this one, 258 and 259, were the Avengers issues that were in that. Because I remember looking at this cover and going, hey, and seeing the Amazing Spider-Man, I was like, who is Fire Lord? Then opening it up, and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on here. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember reading it because I, I vividly remember Kazar in his Arctic gear. But this was new nigh <laughs> incomprehensible to me as a, as a, as a uh, nine-year-old. Yeah, because you're like, what's going on? Why is everything, why are they in the middle of the snow? So, wait, I just realized something. I didn't realize this. There was a Hall of Justice set? Yeah, there was a there was a Hall of Justice play set. I did not know that. It, it had a prison for the bad guys where you could put like two or three figures in the cells. It had a landing pad for the Supermobile. It had a thing that came out, which was a little computer thing for Batman to work on. Uh, it was it was pretty sweet, and you could close it up and just carry it around. Oh, well, that part makes sense, because that seemed like a lot of them had that. They all had the handle up top. I kind of remember mm-hmm. like Castle Grayskull having that. Uh, but yeah, me. no, I, I I just was very blessed as a kid to, to have Christmases where I got like bunches and bunches of toys, and I got nearly 
with the exception of like three figures, I got like the entire first wave and some of the second wave because I, re- I definitely got Darkseid and Kalibak and Desaad uh, that Christmas. Darkseid, uh, I think, is the only one I've ever had, and that was until years later. And he had the cool thing where if you shone a light on top of his head, his eyes glowed red. Yep. Yeah, because uh, I still have him. So, and, and it was all the, the new designs that Kirby had done uh, that were more in line with the animated series than the New Gods comics. But it's just like, that's why it's really weird that I consider, and I know this has nothing to do with Marvel Cosmic, but it's kind of cosmic in scope. Yeah, it uh, counts. I've long hey. held that if I had your action figure as a kid, I'm going to feel something for you as an adult. So. That's probably why I like He-Man still a bit, because that's what I got around this time period. That's what me and my other younger brother got for Christmas. We had like pretty much all of the He-Man figures. That was Christmas of 84. Because Christmas of 83, which was my second Star Wars Christmas, my mom randomly got me a three-pack of He-Man, Tila, and Ram Man. Uh, that came out and that really kind of light lit my fire for that. And then the animated series was on. So it was just like, I just stayed right from star Wars into He-Man. <laughs> yeah. That's what ours was. I was getting a lot of the star Wars stuff earlier. And then at this point, the star Wars wasn't as big and it was the He-Man toys we got. Plus my brother got into it too. So he was old enough. So at that point they were able to just buy a whole bunch of He-Man stuff and go, and this is for both of you. Here you go. <laughs> But the death of the Savage Land is actually kind of tragic. Oh, especially uh, that last issue. Like, you're seeing, like, all these races, like, that bird race. It's like, they all die. They all burn. I mean, it's kind of a little graphic when I'm reading this now. I mean, it's not graphic like, well, like you mentioned before, like, Infinite Crisis, where, like, you know, you're watching somebody's arm get ripped off. No, but they, but Stern killed a whole lot of people here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, yeah. No, like I say, it's not graphic in that regard, or like you said before, with New Avengers, when Sentry joins and he rips people in half at some point. But here, it's still graphic in the fact that, like, yes, no, an entire civilization is destroyed. And they're all dead. And I do like that... Uh... Hercules tries to make him feel better on the helicopter. Like frozen in the very spot where I brought him down to the pitched battle for all his power. Once he was down, he was helpless before the forces of nature. Those very forces, which he unleashed sealed his doom. <laughs> and Kayser's like, thank you, Hercules. That helps a, a little. Yeah. <laughs> so then we get into, um, and they just head home. It's like, all right, we're done. Yeah. We're good, and and they come in, and people are dismantling walls in the, in the Avengers Mansion, and uh, we get what I think is again a pretty adult conversation uh, between their liaison and uh, Mister Sikorsky, and about he's like, look, you got to understand what the Vision did was really bad. We had to revoke your security clearance. But I'm not Henry Gyrick. Yeah, I'm not I, here just to be in charge by yelling and screaming at you. Kind of like what I said about the Wasp. That's Henry Gyrick. Yeah. I'm in charge, and you will all listen to me because I will speak louder. And I, I just love that Cap completely loses his patience with this guy. 
because they were trying to get some information on Terminus, but this dude w- was part of the effort that kind of blocked their their ability to do that, and he's just he's just done with it. Um, and then they get that call from the police saying, "Hey, we've been trying to get in touch with you. We have a problem." So. Buscema's Spider-Man is a bit beefy. He's on more Venom than Spider-Man. I'm looking at that, that fourth panel. Yeah. Like, look at that. Like, that is huge. Like, that's almost Venom size. <laughs> Spider-Man's been like, like, we're gonna, it's, 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 it's bulking season for him, not cutting season. So <laughs> he's just, he's just trying to look better. But it's John Buscema. You can't help it. The man drew large Conan. Yeah, so. He drew Conan for how long? That's him I, slimming somebody down. But I just love that Spider-Man beat the crap out of this guy. Yeah. And and the Avengers just came in at the end of it. It's like, uh, you beat him, you're good. Like, what? Oh. <laughs> you keep him, I don't want him, and I'm out. It's like, and Spidey, out. Which makes sense for Spider-Man at the time. Um, and then they get him back. And he goes a little crazy. And then Hercules, Hercules shows up and is like, dude, seriously. The best is that panel after he punches him. And the Fire Lord just sitting there holding his jaws like, is that you? It is like if, you could almost see him like if it's if this was animated. He's going, Hercules, old friend, is that you? And then he's rubbing his jaw. Yes, of course. It must be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody else hits like that. And Hercules, Hercules, the guy who's like supposed to be the most irresponsible one, is the one who's reading him the riot act, which is when you know you've screwed up. When Hercules is the one telling you about responsibility, <laughs> that's when you know you're in tr- You've caused you. You've screwed up. But after all of that, the back end of the book is the Nebula Scroll storyline really kicking into high gear. And Monica kind of playing him uh, with with Nebula not quite getting it, but the all the guys around her are like, you know, maybe we shouldn't trust her. <laughs> oh, it'll all work out. And of course, she shows up with the Skrulls and uses them to uh, basically radio home. <laughs> and Nebula's like, okay, fine. And then bombs them. Yeah, and blows it all up. And, but I like the scrolls. Like, I, like the, I like the continuity bit where the scrolls hear the name Captain Marvel. They're like, what? Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's one of those things where this is... This is the... Mythology <laughs> of the Marvel Universe being used to good effect. Yes, and one of, probably one of the earlier times of a legacy character where they're having problems because of the name they're using. Yeah. Yeah. If she was called, like, if they were using the current name, like the Photon name or Spectrum, they'd be like, who's Spectrum? What do you do? Okay, whatever. Use the phone. Fine. You've been a pain in the ass already. Just use the phone and get out of here. But they hear Captain Marvel. They're like, Whoa. Yeah, it's just like not only Captain Marvel, but the Avengers. Yeah, and the line: "Those are the ones that meta- whose meddling caused our defeat in the Great War with the Kree." Um, didn't you show up on Earth and start a ruckus? Not just yeah, they showed up on Earth and spied for the longest time. 
it's just like, you know, you're, you really don't have much of a leg to stand on here. I will say the only part of this issue I didn't like is that the final page, it just ends. I mean, it's kind of dramatic, but it, the way that page is laid out, that doesn't really feel like the cliffhanger ending <laughs> that it should be. It's kind of weird. It I honestly kind of expected yeah. there to be more story. Yeah, it, it just kind of ends. Although, but I mean, it has a nice... It maybe would have been better if it ended with the big explosion instead of the nebula part. Because mm-hmm. at least the big explosion feels more cliffhangery. Is this the end of Captain Marvel? Probably not. No. I mean, that'd be a very quick Avengers, you know, membership for her. I joined about half a year ago, and now I'm done. Although, real quick, to jump back real quick, just to say what you go back what you were saying before about adult conversations. The ending of the Cap Wasp Sikorsky conversation, where they both kind of listen to each other's points mm-hmm. and get back with that, it's like. No, you're right. We did keep you from caught with being able to do what you're supposed, what you're here to do, and people died, and that's a problem. And Cap's like, and I understand that from doing this, this caused a problem. So I understand it has to be dealt with. Like again, adult conversations here. Yeah, everybody is acknowledging that there that there are larger problems that they need to deal with, and that you know the the government isn't being completely irrational, and the heroes aren't like closing ranks either. Uh, more than anything, I like that Cap just basically gets out of Jan's way uh, and actually thinks he's like, I almost jumped in there. I really can't do that. She's the leader now. Yeah. I'm and too, he's too used to just taking over. And I, I, I like that he has kind of the maturity and the self-awareness to realize, nope, nope, this this isn't for me. When Cap was written well, it, you get this sort of thing where he doesn't think that he's always right uh as much as i love uh most of the lee kirby and the the lee uh gil kane and other people that drew captain america during like the the 60s uh you know go through his tales of suspense run a lot of those stories were just captain america as kind of the straight ahead like no nonsense to the point where he really wasn't much of a character. He was just here. I'm here to do something actiony and I'm going to do it. Where here you have somebody who has a, a really good handle on the character, like realizing that there's that, that there's conversations that he doesn't need to be a part of because that's not his role. You know, he was, he was the one that handed the gavel back to her. Uh, Because they all felt that she didn't get to finish out her stint as chairman of the Avengers. Yeah, it was cut short. That's good for that's for Jan too. It's good for Jan. I mean, it's like it's like everybody comes out looking good on this. Oh yeah, dope. Yeah, Stern knows how. Stern definitely knew how to play with this team. Uh, Now we're in it. We're in the thick of it. We had a, a pretty fun. The blood-drenched Terminus story. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, and now we're we're finally going to get the band back together, basically, and uh, get the Avenger- Avengers in space. Cap in space is always weird. Yeah. Yeah, some of these characters, it's weird to see them in space. Cap, Black Knight. I mean, we're talking a, a guy who spent most of the time fighting, you know, in the Middle, middle Ages. He's got that, was always, 
that's what I think was kind of fun about the beginning of Endgame, where, you know, like Black Widow and Cap are going to the space for the first time, and everyone is acknowledging that this is really weird. Yeah. Yeah. Or when they do the time travel stuff, it's like Hawkeye and Black Widow, like, we're time traveling to another planet. This is kind of cool, but weird. Before we finish up the episode, let's cover our feedback. And this time we're talking about feedback from episode 159, a convenient piece of cross-promotion with guests John Wilson and Ren Chandler, who talked about Hercules number 3 and Avengers 247 and 252. So let's get through the likes and shares. On Facebook, we got likes and shares from Miracle Mackey, Ray Ray Pod, Gene Hendricks, Joe Sedano, Jesse Starcher, Clinton Robinson, and Sean Curry. On Twitter, we got likes and retweets from Viet Nguyen, David Finn, Alan Sharp, Capes and Lunatics, Trapped in a World, Jason Snick Venable, Dave's Cosmic Heroes Blog, the Daily Rios, JohnReadsComics.com, Anti-Wife Equation, Into the Night, Secret Wars and Beyond Podcast, Doc Strange, Clifford Riley, Chuck, and Kang the Conqueror. Now, don't forget, you want to hear more from me? You can hear me pretty much every week on the L-E-G-I-O-M-P-O-D-Cast. You can find that show over in the feed of Legion of Substitute Podcasters. And on the L-E-G-I-O-M-P-O-D-Cast, we talk about, well... The LEG ION series, that is the late 80s, early 90s sci-fi DC series, not Legion of Superheroes. This is the one that starts Verldox and Lobo. And in fact, we're not even talking about Legion anymore because that series has ended. We are now talking about the follow-up, Rebels, or R-E-B-E-L-S. So go click on the link there and give it a listen. We have a lot of fun on that one. All right, I would love to say your name here or respond to your feedback, like emails. So send those to me. Email resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. You want to like and share the post on Facebook? Just go into Facebook, type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the search box. We'll pop up. Go follow our Tumblr page. We still have that. Resurrectionspodcast.tumblr.com. And of course, you can always follow us, like and like and retweet, or even talk to us on Twitter at Adam Thanos Pod. One more thing: this show is part of the collective. The Collective was started by a few like-minded podcasters who wanted to network in the most traditional sense. It has become a repository for ideas, crossovers, and potential guest appearances, and you are going to hear a promo for another Collective show right now. Hi, this is Chris. And this is Brian. And we are the hosts of Inner Demons, the Ghost Rider podcast. And you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast apps for all your Ghost Rider needs. Right on. But no, just three, four uh, fully uh, great issues. And I, I got to ask, you know, because... Because this is your your Ballywick. What do you think of the cosmic stuff that we've been getting so far? You mean these issues? Yeah. It's a nice touch of it. Because, I mean, this is not a cosmic book. This is not Warlock or Captain Marvel, which really, you know, for the most part was a lot of I'm in space half the time. So it makes sense. The You know, for the Avengers, it is a book that makes sense, like the Fantastic Four. Like, they make more sense. I mean, I'm fine with the X-Men going to space at times, but... That's something that should happen on occasion. You know, that's a, that should be more of a rare thing. But for the FF or the Avengers, they should periodically be dealing with this kind of cosmic level stuff. You know, they've always been doing that. 
I mean, the FF earlier, but the Avengers, ever since Creed Scroll War, definitely have been dealing with this space stuff. So it's nice to do that. And with overall in Stern's run, this is just, you know, this is one of the few times he actually does this. Because most of his run is Earthbound. Even when he's dealing with cosmic stuff like the, like the Silver Surfer or the Beyonder, it's all on Earth. Yeah, and even though we aren't getting some more of like the, you know, iconic Avengers characters, you know, like Iron Man, Thor. Yeah. That, that sort of thing. I really like this team. Like, like throw some leather jackets on it and, you know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, I mean, you got a couple of those jacket members. You got Hercules and Black Knight. Yeah. No, I know. I, I was, I was mostly in case Shag's listening. I wanted to poke at the leather jacket. Um, Avengers, because he loves those so much. Hey, I I read that whole run, so uh, or most of that run, so I'm right there with him. Yeah, you know, and again, I love that every run has a fan or a set of fans. Like, like it could it could be by the comic book hive mind considered to be terrible, but there's like this like contingent of people out there that read it at the time or discovered it later. And absolutely loved it. I'm the same way about Justice League Task Force. When that book became... The priest stuff? Yeah. Be- oh, yeah, God, became, yeah. Became Martian Manhunter training the next generation of heroes. I thought that book was gold. <laughs> I was not reading the other two books, but I was reading that one. I bought that one. I bought every issue of that one. I loved that book. The whole Vandal Sand- that Savage is not a tuna sandwich. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or but- Vandal Savage talking about... Uh, how he drives a Subaru and what a dependable car they are. Or the mystic character who just kind of dies after three issues. Mm-hmm. Priest's like, what? I can't keep the character? Fine. Dead. So weird. But so good. It was so much fun. But, you know, the one thing is this small team, and I like this, but but since it, I mean, because this team, like we said, it, it is like two characters have no powers, and then you got the wasp, and then basically, I mean, with the exception, not counting his, the little bit of the of the persuasion power Starfax has, him and Hercules are basically very similar. They're strong guys. Mm-hmm. Very strong. Hercules is stronger, Starfox can fly. Main difference. But because they're both cosmic-type characters, and it's such a small team, it kind of is easy to, like, merge the team, move the team around a bit from, like, doing more Earthbound stuff that makes more sense for Wasp, Cap, and, Her- and uh, Black Knight, to the more cosmic stuff that makes more sense for Hercules or Star Fox. You know, I have a feeling in the next few issues, we'll probably see them maybe, maybe being a bit more comfortable than like Black Knight, for instance. They're like, yeah, we're used to being in space. It's all cool. <laughs> no, seriously, I'm here all the time. It's all good. Yeah. I mean, come on. Star Fox is like, I'm from another planet. <laughs> I'll show you where to get a really good burrito out here. It's going to be fine. Oh, yeah, he would know. He knows all the good food places. And he's got a girlfriend in every port. Yep. <laughs> but so, I mean, that's one nice thing about the team like this, where it's not just one. It's not just uh, all heavy hitters or all street level characters. Uh, you know, and, and I, I am of the opinion that most of the time, uh, as much as I like iconic lineups of the team, like the Magnificent Seven on the JLA uh, or kind of like the founders and Avengers Tim, you know, and, and and certainly people have got a lot of mileage out of that. I mean, when 
when Perez and, and Buziak came onto the book in 97, that was an event. So, but to me, where you're going to get the best cre- creative in terms of examining the characters, it's when it's a bunch of characters that don't have their own titles. Because then the writer is free to kind of do what do whatever he want he or she wants without having to like consult the editor of another book. Yes, I no, mean, it's, no, go on. Sorry, uh, it, it's it's just like it's all well and good to get like all the big guns of of the Justice League together, and they did that in two thousand seven, but then within two storylines. They had to get everybody out because Batman was dead. Superman was dealing with new Krypton and Wonder Woman was dealing with whatever she was dealing with. And suddenly you're left with a league that is made up of the not heavy hitters. But the stories get more character driven instead of being iconic super battles. Yeah, no, when you're doing a book that has all the iconic characters, you need to have the creative team that has the juice to keep them. And yeah. the ability to work around them. Morrison was able to do the seven back in 95. Was it 97? Yeah, 97. When they did the book. Because they had the juice to not just keep the seven characters, but also the flexible enough that Superman's blue now? Fine. Electric Superman. That's That, that works too. I can still work with that. Yep. Um, the same thing when Busiak, when you have Busiak and Perez doing that Heroes Return, they could do that big seven. You know? But yeah, a lot of times, like when you have other, I mean, like you said, with two thousand, with what two thousand seven, when they brought him back, yeah, that was that's the Brad Meltzer one, right? Yeah. Yeah. The problem was he left after a year, so your big your big gun that's going to be you know shepherding this that they were trusting it all to is now gone, and now everyone's like, oh, so the one thing that's stopping me from taking my character back is not there. Great, I'm taking him back. Luckily, Dwayne McDuffie was the replacement writer for Meltzer on that book, and you know you really can't do. No, unfortunately, though, Dwayne McDuffie had the talent to be able to do something like that. If he had been able to keep the characters, he had the talent to write it. But he probably did not have the creative juice as a name of like Meltzer at the time or like Morrison did earlier to be able to say, no, I need to keep these characters fight for this. You know, so I don't think I think, you know, so he might have been, you know, if he if he had had that juice there, he might have been able to keep them. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that brought people into that book initially was it's going to be the premise of it's going to be all these big characters. I mean, because, I mean, you can do those teams fine without the big characters. I mean, look at JLI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But that was the premise from the beginning. So there's no change. But when you're telling when everyone's being expecting we're going to get the big seven characters for this run and then within 12, you know, by issue 18, half are gone. You're going to lose a lot of, you know, people are just going to be gone because of that. You're going to lose a lot of readers just from that, just from that. And then they kind of did it in the New 52. It's just like, okay, we're going to start off with Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Aquaman, Flash, and Cyborg. And then, like, within 12 issues, Green Lantern is just gone until uh, Dark Side War. And it's just like, you you were just trying to get, oh, okay, okay. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> You guys can't hold on to these things because everybody's doing their own thing in the main books. So, and, and it doesn't help either with the way style is writing changing to more of these big six part stories. 
So, I mean, think about the Meltzer thing. You only have like one or two stories, really. I mean, several issues, yes, but one or two stories with them. But, like, yeah. for instance, look at the difference with the Morse run. You have the initial four-part arc, and you have, like, a one-shot issue, and then you have the two-part against the against the angels, mm-hmm. and then, like, another two-part story, and then Rock of Ages. So even from the first 12 issues, you saw, like, four stories already. It felt like you got more stuff with them in that same time period where, like, the Meltzer thing was, like, what? Like, one seven-issue story, and then, like, one mother story, and then, boom, that's it. Yeah, and, and I remember thinking that at the time, too. It's just like you've eaten up six issues with one story, whereas 20 years ago there would have been six to three to six stories with over a six issue period. Uh, you know, because they did two parters and they did three parters and they did extended stories, but it always felt like there was just you got more out of it. Whereas Tornado's Path, and then you had the crossover with the Justice Society, and then you had a couple shorter stories uh, to kind of end things out. You know, it's not a bad run, um, but on the other side of the aisle, and more germane to what we're talking about here, you know, Bendis only did like four or five stories before Civil War. And that was like 20 issues. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, because you had the whole breakout thing, uh, which was like five or six issues. And then you had uh, like the two issues of Spider-Woman. And then you had the whole Sentry storyline. And, you know, you you get you get a couple others uh, here. You got the Ronin storyline, if I'm remembering correctly. I think so, yeah. But when you but it takes like literally an hour to read all of them. <laughs> Whereas it took me a half hour to read these three issues. Yeah. So but that's just me, you know, yelling at clouds and telling people to get off my lawn and, you know, talking about that time I had an onion on my belt. Which, Which was the style at the time. Yeah, I was about to I was about to say that it was the style at the time. So <laughs> Yeah. But going back to what you said, I do I mean, I think the Busiak Perez run might be one of the exceptions of it, but I, I generally prefer when they have, like, for Avengers, like, one of the big guys that have their own books. And the rest of the team is these other characters who don't exist anywhere else but here. Like this run, or, the, like you said, the jacket run, where, you know, Cap leaves and then comes back, but he's really the only main character, you know, big gun that has his own book. Everyone well, that's else. That's why is, that Zodiac yeah. story was such a big deal because it was like one of the first times that you had Iron Man, Cap, and and Teen Tony, uh, and Iron Man, uh, teaming up, uh, like fighting together. In a yeah, that Zodiac. If only it was good. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say I don't remember that being the best. Uh, no, but, I don't. I mean, I haven't read it since it came out. I don't think, but I don't remember really even back then going. This is good. Thinking this was that great. <laughs> Yeah, no, by that point, it was near the end of that anyway. Mm-hmm. That was when we got Wasp Wasp. Yeah, Wasp Wasp, and then we got uh, Liefeld's Avengers, which is weird to read today because it's kind of what Miller and Hitch did with the Ultimates, which was the basis of the Mar- the MCU. So, 
Maybe he was on to something. I don't ultimately know what that something was, but <laughs> because yeah. those issues those issues are okay. They're they're not as terrible. When I reread them years ago, uh, a couple years ago, they weren't as terrible as I remember them. But I wouldn't say they were good. <laughs> I think I lasted an issue on that when it came out. <laughs> Which, by the way, came out I think the same month that Morrison's JLA did. It was a big month. Ninety November of ninety six, man. Yeah, I think I. Yeah, I think that was that was a time period where my reading went more towards DC than Marvel at that point. Because the Heroes Are Born books were not my thing. I mean, if someone loved them, great. Good for them. Glad you liked it. <laughs> Got something you enjoyed. Are we not magnanimous? Hey, someone's got to read it. Just doesn't have to be me. That is very, very true. I was more enjoying, you know, JLA fighting white Martians and, you know, Connor Hawk trying to use, you know, Oliver Queen's arrows. Oh, Dad. You're going to be the death of me. But no, thank you for having me on. I do appreciate it. No, thanks for being on. Yeah, no, this was fun. And these are fun issues, so. And the fun's not over yet. (laughs) Nope. Mike will be back soon for three more issues of Avengers. Um, Which one was this one? 258? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 259 to 261. But between now and then, if you want to hear more from Mike, where can you hear him? Ah, FortressOfBailyTube.com. It's some of the Fortress of Bailey Tube podcasting network where you've got Superman and Lois tapes and Overlook Dark Knight and From Crisis to Crisis and back episodes of Views from the Long Box. It all comes back to Superman and Bailey's Batman podcast. So there's bound to be something there that you'll like. Yep, links will be in the show notes. So go, go, be lazy. Just go there, click, and it'll bring you right to it. <laughs> I make it easy for my people, my listeners. I try to make it very easy. Good man. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all for this time, everybody. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Resurrections, and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production. And no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise. And the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. Oh, wait, how do you say it in that movie? Oh, yeah, Pop Quiz Hotshot, Crossing or Millennium? Ah, see, the Crossing was only the Avengers titles. Millennium was the entire line. So, mm. uh, and actually, I've heard people say good things about the crossing. So, I don't know. I just remember I picked up that one issue where they go back in time, and I'm like, wait, so Tony's 19, but the Fantastic Four are taking off in their rocket, and 
Is that Peter Parker? Who's the five, that five year old Peter Parker? What the hell? <laughs> this makes no sense whatsoever. I'm like, no, not coming back to Avengers right now. I'll come back later. I'm going to wait for Busiak and Perez. <laughs> Hold on one second. Dog decided he does not want to be in the room anymore. Oh, that I feel yeah. that. <laughs> I know. Hold on. Okay, buddy. Okay. Okay, buddy. Come on. I open the door. And I'm sure in five minutes he'll be whimpering at the gate to come back in. More than likely. That's what they do.